Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Just a Tad on the DTF Podcast Network. I am Sam Norton, and you are a faithful friend and lover, and someone I've come to quite adore and cherish. Not those other people, just you. You that I'm talking to right in your sultry ears. Can you hear my breath? It's all for you. Cool. We've kept the tradition alive this whole time of me just being uh, fucking weird. I should just get into what I want to talk about. So let's do that, shall we? I, right now, in 2016 December, am in the middle of Tough Crowd Month. It's my third annual thing that I do every year. I, on Twitter, will live tweet an episode of Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn uh, every night for 30 days. And I do it every December because I did it once, and I did it twice, and now I'm doing it a third time. Uh, And I figured now that I have this podcast, I might as well try to tie that in. So last week, if you didn't know, we talked about Tough Crowd as a whole of that show. And now this week, we're going to talk about they did a stand-up comedy special uh, back in 2002, I believe. 2002, 2003. I couldn't find... I was on Comedy Central's website. And guess what? Comedy Central, maybe you should time lock and date your fucking videos. Anyways, 2002-2003, they took the regular cast from Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn, which was Colin Quinn, Nick DiPaolo, Judy Gold, Jim Norton, Patrice O'Neill, Keith Robinson, uh, and Colin Quinn, like I said. Uh, And they did a little showcase set. It was about an hour long and uh, funny as hell. And so we're going to listen to clips of each of the comedians. I'm going to tell you why I like them, break down... In, in not a very detailed way, but just in a generalized way, so you guys can maybe get interested in a certain one of these comedians, because I swear upon all of them, I am a huge Tough Crowd fan, and everybody that Colin Quinn signed off of, I could see the merit. There's some people I didn't like, but of the main core group, I find myself liking them quite a bit. I could listen to them shit on each other and do comedy almost every day, and I try to during December. So the first one up... Uh, is Nick DiPaolo. Uh, Nick DiPaolo, just so you guys know, is now 54. This is about 10 years ago, so he was about 44. Uh, he grew up in Danver, Massachusetts. He's now a New Jersey slash New York comedian. He's, uh, he's, he's gotten pretty big through podcasting and just continuing his illustrious career. He's been on uh, Louis C.K.'s show, uh, he's been on Amy Schumer's show, he, he sees around, everybody seems to like him, and we're going to listen to a part of his clip, come back, and then I'll tell you what I enjoy about him, and what makes him, uh, along with everybody else in this uh, cast of characters, so unique, and uh, something that uh, I think every comedian should at least try to listen to, you don't have to like it, but I think you should try to listen to it, so let's listen to little Nick Tapalo, and we'll come back and dissect him, so here we go. I don't have to stay in shape anymore. I just got married, folks. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't applaud that because I dated her for nine years. That's, that's like applauding for a guy with his first major league home run in his 33rd season. You know, it's like, yeah, it's about time, jackass. You know? My buddy dated his girlfriend for 14 years before he married. I go, that's a long time. He goes, hey, you don't buy a car without test driving it. Yeah, you don't put 100,000 miles on the test car either, you know? Last thing you want is her having engine problems on your wedding night, you know? Hey, she won't turn over. 
Maybe she's flooded. She had 14 margaritas. And I, I, I... I'm Catholic, so I had to go to pre-Cana class before I got married. That's when I had to go to a Catholic priest, and he was going to tell me how to live with a woman the rest of my life. Anybody see the irony in that? It's, it's not like I'm marrying a 12-year-old Filipino boy. And I was like, a... I'm like, when's the last time you were on a date, father? And throwing a wig on an altar boy doesn't count. You know? I was like, yeah, I know that's edgy. I'm the one f***ing the kids, not him. You're right. All right, that was Nikki D on the Tough Crowd Stands Up, presented by Comedy Central. Uh, Nick DiPaolo, if you guys don't know, is a more conservative voice. Uh, he doesn't really get that political in this set, but he's a, he's a more political comic, and he's a conservative voice in a sea of blue liberal voices. And I'm not I'm I'm a bleeding heart liberal. If it wasn't for other bitchy bleeding heart liberals, uh, but in a very generalized sense, I'm. On almost every issue, a bleeding heart liberal, uh, and yet having contra- contrarian viewpoints with Nick DiPaolo, he's one of my more favorite comedians and continues to be because even if he makes a uh, joke I don't agree with, I can at least follow the logic, number one, and uh, then once I follow the logic, he, I can always tell that at least when he's on stage, comedy comes first. There are a lot of comedians, uh, and I see him with more liberal-based comedians than conservative, because there honestly aren't that many conservative comedians. Uh, but it, political comedians kind of lose sight of the golden rule, which I think I've said on here before, which is be funnier than the point that you're making. And Nikki D, in my estimation, always does that. Now, do the jokes... Hit if he's in front of a bunch of hippies, probably, probably not. Uh, but you can always notice that he's going for a punchline. He's not going for a, hey, here's a reference and a political view that only you guys will like. It's a, hey, here's my political view. Now here's the punchline. So it's it's all it's all keyed and teed up for the funny. And that's kind of what I like about Nick is that, like I said, he's always going for comedy before anything else. But uh, he does it, I think the way he gets away with it, at least to me, the way I, I always find myself going, like, I, I really like this guy, I want to hang out with him type thing, is he's a playful dickhead. Like, yes, he is a dickhead, and yes, he uh, can say either outrageous things or just like holy shit type things or off-kilter things, but it's always fun. It's like you're hanging out at a bar with him and drinking, and... You know, if that's not your style of comedy, I understand. That's definitely mine. I like the idea of someone saying something that uh, I don't agree with or don't like, uh, but they say it in a way that I can I can find myself laughing at it. I, I, I don't like taking things too seriously, and there are things that I do. And so whenever someone kind of breaks the code on something I take seriously so I can go like, oh, okay, well, there's, there's a contrast in contrasting opinion that's actually funny, I can laugh at it now. I, I like that. I think that's what comedy's for, but, uh, you know, maybe I have an old school thought on it, is that, you know, you should learn to laugh at everything. You don't have to laugh at everything, but you should learn to be able to laugh at everything. And Nick DiPaolo is a prime example, at least in my world, uh, in the ability to uh, 
find things that I don't think that you can or should laugh at and proving me wrong, and I'm happy every time he does it. So that's, uh, that's uh, Nicotipalo. So let's move on to the next one. See? See how quick these are? We've got all these comics, but we're going to talk about them real quick. It'll be fun. Then you guys can go out and uh, explore them yourselves, and I guarantee we're going to talk about each of these people individually somewhere down the line. Now, next one is... Greg Giraldo. Now, a little bit about Greg Giraldo. Unfortunately, he has passed away. He passed away at 44. Um, I believe at the time that he did this show, he was maybe, oh God, maybe 40, somewhere around there. Like this wasn't too far away from when he actually passed away, unfortunately. Uh, Greg uh, was uh, born and raised in the Bronx, in New York, Bronx, New York. Uh, and he attended Columbia College and Harvard Law College. He didn't get his law degree, uh, but he he did go and then became a comedian. But uh, just a little fun fact of like how smart this cat is, and we'll talk more about how he uses his intelligence in comedy. It is a prime factor of him. So let's listen to him come back and dissect the shit out of Greg Giraldo. So what happened to the world? Wasn't there supposed to be peace and prosperity at the end of the Cold War? All of a sudden, it's like the most dangerous time in history. There's all these diseases. Everybody's got nuclear weapons. Everybody hates us. Everybody's got nuclear weapons. India, Pakistan, North Korea. India and Pakistan have nuclear weapons. How, how did they get nuclear weapons? They're, 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 those are dirt poor countries. Their armies don't even have matching uniforms, for Christ's sake. You know, they go to war. They got to call each other up. Where's something tough looking? North Korea, of course, North Korea, that's a, that's a dangerous place. And people say, hey, why don't we invade North Korea? We attacked Iraq, why don't we go into North Korea? Isn't it hypocritical? We should attack North Korea. Why don't we do it? I'll tell you why, folks. First of all, because the North Koreans probably know karate, all right? <laughs> you don't just jump into something like that. You know how long it would take to enroll the entire 10th Mountain Division in karate classes in every crappy strip mall in every crappy town in New Jersey? You know, we'd have to fly Mr. Miyagi into the 82nd Airborne and teach him how to wax on and wax off and all the fancy moves. And, and uh, terrorism, you know, the terrorism is, is uh, it's obviously it's on everybody's mind, you know? The other day, my son says to me, Daddy, how come the bad men hate us? How come the bad men hate us? How sad is that? I actually got tears in my eyes. Because he's 18. What kind of of a moron am I raising? I said, I don't know why they hate us, dummy. Why don't you read the paper and form your own opinions? He's not going to read the paper. Americans, we don't read the paper. We don't know what goes on in other countries. I was talking to this Arab guy the other day, and he said, why do the Americans always support the Israelis? He said, it's probably because in America, the Jews have all the money and they control the media, which is ridiculous and paranoid and really only part of it. Americans... Don't really understand what's going on between the Israelis and the Palestinians. So basically, Americans support the Israelis for one reason: because the Israelis never do this. <laughs> That's really it. That's it. It's not a. It's not the most sophisticated worldview, but that's pretty much it. And the average American's like, man, I don't know what's going on over there, but I don't like that. I know that. I'm going with the team that ain't doing that. That I don't like. All right, that was Greg Giraldo on Stand Tough Crowd Stands Up. Uh, now, I was talking before we left and listened to Greg that his, uh, his intelligence was a prime factor of his comedy. Now, what I mean by that is that he 
there's an, another rule I like to use, at least a comedy theory that I developed after watching uh, Monty Python, and I think John Cleese even said this in an interview where he said, exalting uh, the mundane or dumb, uh, he said it more British and intelligent, but he said uh, making dumb things, like saying dumb things in an intelligent way or saying intelligent things in a dumb way, that juxtaposition creates a joke upon itself. And I think Greg Giraldo, that's knowingly or not, attacked his comedy in that uh, he he makes his intelligent thoughts and points and then the misdirection he uses is just a dumb punchline. The best example was when he was like, yeah, my son is terrified of the war and why why the bad men want to hurt us, why the bad men want to hurt us. And you seem like he's going to give you this kind of intellectual explanation or rant because that's where comics normally go is like, oh, why the bad men want to hurt us? And then you go down a rant and then it's not that good. Uh, <laughs> but Gray was like, yeah, and he's 18. What kind of dumb fuck? So he just turns it on himself and just takes the piss out of the point that you thought he was going to make. It just goes nowhere. I, I very much enjoy that, and I very much do that myself. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and had to admit out loud that I don't think I've made a point on stage uh, that kept <laughs> for the last four years. I, I just stopped making points, and now I do, like Greg, I'll get into, uh, you know, smart or touchy or intelligent uh, subjects like racism, classism, sexism, homophobia, those big kind of pillars of uh, talking points in society. And I'll talk about them, but I guarantee you every one of them either turns into a dick joke or a poop joke or uh, I, I do that kind of same uh, same type of theory that Greg does of creating an atmosphere of, oh, it's going to be a deep point or a smart point you explain logic into it, and then you just cut the legs out from underneath it and just sit there with nothing in your hands. Uh, it's it's a it's a fun little it's a fun little thing to do. It's a, it's like a little tiny magic trick, you know. Everybody sees the rabbit in your hand. You put the cloth over it. You pull it off, and there's nothing there. When you thought that he was going to turn into a quarter, you're just like, nope, it's gone. That that and the rabbit could be dead. I, who knows? Who cares? Because it it got a, a gasp or a laugh or a a guffaw from you. Um, a thing that Greg does that I do not do, that I wish I did, which is another sign of his intelligence, at least behind the curtain as a comic, uh, the, the more, in my, in my estimation, what I've learned through my travels and studies is the more intelligent a comedian is, you go through two different stages. Uh, when... The more intelligent a comedian is, if they've been doing it a long time, they uh, then stop being funnier than the point that they're making. But before that happens, uh, a sign of intelligence to me is never wasting a chance for a misdirection. Not necessarily a punchline, but just to cut the legs out from underneath or create juxtaposition or hopefully a punchline. And Greg Giraldo is uh, that to a T. There is no wasted uh, part of his act whenever you watch his act. There is no 
there's no desert of where the there's no desert of points or uh, like wave points is what I mean. So everything leads into another thing, and every setup has a payoff. Every payoff has a tag. Every tag has a transition. Every transition has a setup. Do you see what I mean? Like there there's no there is no fat or gristle that he didn't purposely leave there. He is a perfect comedy butcher, or was, I gotta say that. He was a perfect comedy butcher of figuring out what the crowd needed and wanted uh, for their cooking. So, like, when you go to the butcher, you get beef, right? You can get, like, 80-20 or 60-40, like, fat rind. I don't even think 60-40 exists. That's a really fat cow. But you know what I mean? Like, you can get as much fat as you want. Now, the fat is the flavor, but if you have too much fat, people don't enjoy it. So, uh, Greg was really good at fine-tuning his act and able to talk uh, with the crowd, but then also rear back and just go into jokes and snap it up. He had that ability, uh, and that's what I very much enjoyed about him. I do not. I try to have that ability, uh, but my fucking dumb brain makes me go off in different directions. So my my shows can be real up and down, Uh, but I'm super fucking charming, so luckily I can make up for that. (laughs) And I know some of you are listening like, no, you're not. I don't even know why the fuck I'm listening to this still. Well, yeah, you do, because we're having a good time. All right, let's move on. Uh, that was Greg Giraldo. Now let's move on to the next comedian, uh, Judy Gold. Uh, Judy Gold, uh, if you guys don't know, uh, she is 54 years old now, so she was around 44 whenever this came out. She's from Newark, Newark, New Jersey. Um, and when she was younger, she was a actual musical studio, a musical student at Rutgers University. So we got like Columbia, Harvard, Rutgers, we got... These are all real uh, fancy fucks in my estimation. Uh, where's all the community colleges in this bitch? Uh, but we're going to listen to Judy Gold and come back and dissect what makes her so special to me, as well as a fancy, fancy lady, which she's not. She's a fucking just cool bro. <laughs> all right, listen to Judy Gold and we'll come back. two kids. Uh, yeah, right out of the vagina. Let me say one thing about the vagina. Seriously. No, the fact that that vagina gets so enormous to let the baby out, it is such a miracle that it never goes back to its original elasticity. In fact, I'm peeing right now, ladies and gentlemen. Wait, let me finish. Did you just look down to see if there was pee coming out? Did you? But it's great. As uh, Colin said in my intro, because I wanted him to, uh, yeah, I am a lesbian, and I actually have a partner, Sharon, and Sharon and I uh, each had a child. Sharon had our first child, Henry. He's seven, and I adopted him, and I had Ben, and he's two, and she adopted him. And it's great, because everyone's always like, oh, my God, you have two kids? Which pregnancy was harder? I'm like, oh, the first one was a breeze. I didn't feel anything. I didn't get any weight. My tits didn't But but we used an anonymous sperm donor, which I I know is very fascinating to a lot of people. So people are always trying to get information out of me by asking me the stupidest questions. So a couple of weeks ago, I was with the baby, and this woman comes up to me and goes, oh, my God, he is so cute. Now, who do you think he looks like? I'm like, your husband, okay? (laughs) But it's 
tough. It's really tough raising the kids. You know, Greg was talking about it. You know, they're cute, and then they get annoying. I can't stand it. Henry, the older one, he's seven now. He's sitting on the couch the other day. He's into this thing where he ignores me. I can't stand it anymore. So he's sitting on the couch. I'm like, Henry, 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 Henry. Henry. Nothing. So finally, I yell his name. Then he goes, can't you see I'm doing something? What are you, deaf? First of all, you do not talk to me like that. And second of all, it's what are you blind, okay? <laughs> Idiots. Love you people. It's attractive, but um, no, it's great. Henry, uh, Henry's definitely straight. I can, you can kind of tell, and I, 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 I realize he is gonna totally use this whole two mom thing to get girlfriends. I swear to God, when he gets older, you know, I really understand women. I, I have two moms. Could you do me right now? All right, great. That feels great. And I really, I know what you're feeling right now. And I, but I feel sorry for him because, you know what? He has two Jewish mothers, and that would really make me want to kill myself. But I know. Sad. Yeah, my mother, Jewish mother, very supportive of my rela relationship. I can never forget when Henry was born, uh, she didn't know how to explain it to her friends. So she, this, I swear to God, this is what she used to say to people. Uh, Judith's roommate uh, had a baby. And then Judith adopted him. <laughs> yeah, Ma, we were splitting the rent, so I figured, you know, I should probably pay for half of the kids. What the hell is that? Out of her mind. She loves the kids, though. It's so funny. We go to her house. She does not know what to do with the kids. So I swear to God, a couple of weeks ago, we go to her house, and uh, we walk in. She's sitting in some room, depressed. Anyway, Henry walks in. He's like, hey, Grandma. Ben's running around. I'm chasing after him. And I hear Henry and my mother in the other room having a great time. I'm like, what the hell are they doing? I walk in. They're taking each other's blood pressure. Okay, how psychotic is that? No, that she thinks that's an activity to do with your grandchild. I mean, she's completely there. Those are the Jews. All right, that was Judy Gold on Tough Crowd Stands Up. And Judy's been palling around the industry for quite a while. Uh, she's one of those comics that, like, is around all the time. She lives in New York uh, now, I believe, either New York or New Jersey, but in the New York metropolitan area. But she's always, like, a talking head on television shows and always just kind of popping up here and there, uh, as well as, like, touring around and selling out and stuff. Um, to me, I think what keeps her, the, <laughs> keeps her to me in my heart whenever I watch her and even see her on shows is there's no denying that she is, uh, ultra Jewish. And <laughs> I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I mean that in a comedic way, because she does really ham it up a lot of times, especially, on the show Tough Crowd, where she just, wow, my Jew, and always brings up the Holocaust. She calls herself out on it. So that's what I mean. Uh, but the the part about, that I like about it, is that she has this weird ability that I've seen a handful of people have, where she can both inflate and normalize her being a Jewish, a, a lesbian Jewish woman. Uh, a lesbian Jewish woman's a little bit re uh, redundant, but like a lesbian, a Jewish lesbian, right? 
the the inflation is when she gets all waggity schmaggity do uh, part about it, a little wink and a nod, and then she uh, heightens it for comedic appeal of uh, right. Look at this fucking dumb. Jewish lady, huh? Oh, oh, I'm a lesbian. Look at that box. Boop, 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 boop. Right? She can, she can get real carnivalic with it, which is uh, which is a fun thing. She can juggle all of that. And then, what I mean by normalize is that that's a pretty unique perspective to be a uh, Jewish lesbian, in my estimation. That I, I can't imagine there are uh, that many uh, in the world, uh, let alone just in America. Uh, and yet she brings it to a point where a straight white man from Kansas growing up would watch her and go like, I like her. I, I get it. Uh, I don't, I haven't lived any of her life at all, but I, uh, I, I get, you know, she talks about, uh, in, in this set in her act as well, she just talks about being, uh, being a creep who found love, then started a family and is still kind of a fucking creepy weirdo, you know? <laughs> and there's, uh... There's like this fine razor's edge of going too far down a down the road of being a caricature of yourself, where you become uh, what I call a quote comic, uh, which is like Terry, the Gilbert Rodriguez or something like that, or <laughs> Terry the Gilbert. That I could have said the Grape or something. Gilbert Grape, also great movie. Uh, but the, you know what I mean, like the 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 quote comedians, uh, you know Franklin. The hot dog, Stevenson, and she could have. Uh, I could see in a horrible parallel universe that Judy Gold could have became that character of herself. She could have became Judy the Jew Gold or something like that. But she, uh, you know, has artistic credit and merit, and uh, you know, has self confidence in herself to be able to strive down that, that path of like waggity schmaggity do, but then pull it back into this real kind of beautiful uh, watch me play around uh, and then uh, get serious about uh, stuff that you know most of us can relate with. And even if you can't relate with it, she finds a way to make it palatable to people who can't uh, relate with uh, having a girlfriend, you know? Uh, and I see, I see a lot of straight dudes that aren't able to uh, do that, to where the second that they start talking about either sex or uh, relationships, fucking half the audience checks out because women are like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Uh, and the goal is not to go to the audience. The goal is to get the audience to go to you. And Judy makes the audience come to her because she puts up uh, little arrows that people can read like, hey, over here, free gas or something. You know, it's it's in a language that everybody can understand, so that way they come in and feel comfortable. That's the way Judy Gold does, and that's that's something I really like about her. She's uh, her 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 traits, her Jewishness, woman, lesbian, whatever fucking label you want to put on her. Those those hyperbolic esque traits of her, they. They define her comedy, but not her, if that makes sense. Like, you could pitch her, like I'm doing right now, as a uh, Jewish lesbian comic, right? You can pitch her as that, because she does fit that for some... uh, She fits that as a... As a bubble, right? She talks about being a lesbian, she talks about being Jewish, she does not 
strife away for it or feel bad about it. She just is that uh, as a as a thing. But that does not define her. She is much more than that, and she brings that up on stage and lets uh, lets it feel normalized to people who have never experienced being a lesbian or Jewish, is what I'm trying to say. So she's she's great on that front, and that's why I'll listen to her for the rest of my life, and so should you. And we're going to move on to the next comedian, Jim Norton. Uh, Jim Norton, a little bit of backstory for him. He is now 48 years old. He grew up in Bayonne, New Jersey. And he's a self-acclaimed or proclaimed. I think it's proclaimed, but he's probably also self-acclaimed sex addict, which he talks about uh, quite often and candidly, uh, both uh, in in public forums like his comedy or radio show, and in private when he's doing uh, like interviews and stuff like that. but he, uh, he was also the host, uh, a co-host of ONA radio show, that's Opie and Anthony, that then got turned into O&J, which was Opie and Jim, and now he's got his own show on Sirius Satellite, which is a stem off of that, which is Jim and Sam's show. So he's been in the radio game, I think, since I even, since I knew about him. He started on Tough Crowd and then got into Opie and Anthony and then has been doing that ever since. Uh, but right now, he's going to do a set for us, and then we'll come back and talk about why I appreciate him uh, more than most comics. And we'll get back to Jim after we listen to him. All right. Listen and goodbye. Thank you. Uh, thank you. You guys sound like a, a really nice crowd. You're going to have to really work with me tonight. I have been uh, fiercely uh, depressed. I had a three-year relationship end this week. Um, that's all right, man. You, uh, you ever regret killing someone? No, I wish it were that simple. Uh, it was a three-year relationship, and I started to have erection difficulties. And uh, we had different ideas as to what the problem was. She bought me Viagra, I bought her a treadmill. I mean, I think that's fair. I'm all about compromise. I'll eat a pill, just get on the machine, you monstrosity. And I do realize that monstrosity is not politically correct. It's plus-sized person. I don't even know what plus size means. Human plus elephant equals her. First time I ever heard that awful expression. I'm in a bar and I'm talking to a girl and she's really sweet. She's like 500 pounds, we're just talking. And I'm like, oh, what do you do for a living? And she's like, I'm a plus size model, which was kind of nice because then I could tell all my friends like, yeah, I banged a model. You know, you just leave out the plus size part. They're like, uh, really, what does she model? Uh, dome stadiums? And to answer your next question, yes, I do realize that I'm not a visual treat. That was Jim Norton on Tough Crowd Stands Up. I'm going to say it after every single comedian, as if you don't know what we're listening to. Uh, What I like about Jim, right, he... But actually, he's going to be one comedian, I'll tell you what I don't like, to show you how much I do like the things that I do like. Jim always goes uh, for shock value a lot, at least towards uh, 
towards the beginning of his career. I, I've actually seen him live a couple of times since then. He's stamped this down a little bit, but towards the beginning, it was very much shock value. He would say the worst thing possible just to get shock value, and that's okay when it's okay, but when it's your whole set, it, it becomes a little bit lumbersome. However, however, I don't think I can remember a time where I got... Um, I got exhausted by Jim doing it simply because he's the perfect contrarian, meaning that he will set up a premise, he'll have an idea, he'll go against opinion, he'll do whatever, and then go to the opposite end just for a punchline. And I part of his um, going so hyperbolic that uh, he gets the shock value would be to be contrarian. So he would say something. I mean, we listened to a set that to, to give you a better idea of what I'm talking about, I'll just make something up. But an idea of Jim's uh, on paper jokes would be talking about how he, he doesn't believe in abortion because he's religious. Um, he believes that you should burn the woman and or burn the baby inside the woman or so you know what I mean like put the woman up on a stake because she's a witch while she's pregnant like he would say something that shocking and awful to cut the legs out from underneath the fact that he said he was religious so he would do stuff like that but what he also does is he makes great logical points uh to where he'll like, you know, if you're talking about abortion, be like, yeah, see, I'm burning a woman and killing her and the baby because of my religion. Isn't that okay? So the whole joke isn't really about abortion. It would really be about religion. Then he would just slam on religion or the people that think like that. Uh, I think that was a very creative way to do it. And I think he's only gotten better with age. And that I, I think that's something that's missing in a lot of comedy uh, nowadays. Everybody's very preachy, and I'm not a fan of it. I get that some people are good, but there's a lot of people who do it poorly, and then you're just sitting there like, okay, great, and now I know what you think about everything, and I don't really care. I kind of wanted to laugh at something. Uh, I'm glad that you gave us your fucking soliloquy or your fucking doctoral thesis. Uh, and that's what I like about Jim. It is it doesn't pick sides. You can't automatically assume where he's going to end up on a um, uh, on an issue. And I think that when you have those like doctoral soliloquy speeches from certain comics, you very quickly figure out, okay, well, if you feel about if you feel this way about women's rights, you're probably going to feel this way about abortion, right? And so, if you do a joke about women's rights, women's rights, women's rights. Then you go into a joke about abortion, abortion, people are going to know, okay, well, whatever the punchline's coming out, it's going to be in favor of your views. So you kind of narrow yourself down from punchlines because punchlines are about juxtaposition, right? They're about turning people's um, expectations of you on their head. So if you didn't pick sides or you didn't care uh, about your... Uh, views so much that you couldn't write a punchline to contrast them, then you could probably get a really funny punchline out of it, but a lot of people don't do that. Jim does not. Jim holds nothing sacred because I don't think he holds anything close to him. He he does have his convictions. Don't get me wrong. He does have convictions. He does bring him up, but you never know, whenever he brings up a subject, you never know what side of the argument he's going to be on. I have been watching him for the last 10, 15 years, and I, 
if you bring up gun control, I don't know what side he stands on. If you bring up fucking abortion, I don't know what side he stands on. If you bring up fucking uh, Syria, I don't know what side he stands on. I could guess uh, he's liberal more often than not, but a lot of times he's not. So, And a lot of times he doesn't even say his direct political thing. He just goes for something shocking just to fucking snap you out of your own goddamn beliefs for a second. And so that's what I like about him. He never picks sides. He's a perfect contrarian. He debates anything and everything whenever, however. I, I very much enjoy that about Jim Norton. So let's move on. To the late, great Patrice O'Neill. He's up next. Uh, Patrice O'Neill, like you can figure and you probably know, uh, unfortunately died when he was 41. Uh, when he did this show, he was, God, he, he had to be 30, 36, 7, something around there. I think that was around, because him and Greg Giraldo kind of died around the same time. Uh, but yeah, he died, he, he was pretty young when he did this show and then he was pretty young when he died too it was real sad uh he was born in new york city new york new york uh but he grew up in boston and that really helped his comedy outlook uh, he, in his own words he grew up around white people and was able to study him for his whole uh adolescence and teens and so uh <laughs> Uh, we're going to get into Patrice and come back and just, I'm going to guffaw, guffaw? I don't even know if that, I'm going to, I'm going to swoon. I think that's what I meant to say. I'm going to swoon over Patrice O'Neill for a little bit. Uh, so sit back and enjoy him and then we'll come back and dissect him. All right. Uh, so we're going to start with, I really miss Sarge. Uh, I, <laughs> I really hate to see it go, man. I really was happy watching Chinese people walking around, uh, not trying to cough, you know, you know. <laughs> I just love watching Chinese people get the pressure applied. Looking at them, like waiting for them to cough. You know, you when you was working with them, you was just looking on. This if he cough, <laughs> if this Chinese dude coughs, I, it was just fantastic. Because every other disease, they blame on black people. I can't get enough of it. I'm watching uh, TV uh, monkeypox, and they was doing it's some magical disease. White people breaking out with this, with and. and uh, and so I'm looking, and they're doing the report, and they show a composite sketch of some rat uh, from Africa, which, which, which means he's black. And they drew it. First of all, I'm like, what's the, how do you know the difference between some, some uh, black rat and some rat from the Bronx? That's the, the Puerto Rican hat. So they, they, they might as well have drew a, a hat backwards. And so... So this is the monkeypox culprit. Watch out for the, watch out for the dirty uh, black rat. And, and then uh, uh, it attacked, it attacked. Uh, now, white people don't really have an animal representative of themselves. But if you was to think of a few, one would be a bald eagle and the other would be a prairie dog. And that's what it attacked. So it was almost just like a newscast. Be on the lookout for some rat. Uh, he... Bit uh, some poor defenseless uh, prairie dog just watching the game and stole his wallet and bit him in the shoulder and gave him. I'm watching the, uh, this bug show with the locusts, man. The, 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 you know, black locusts from Africa, black. Oh, watch out for black lo locusts. Africanized. That's what they call it. Africanized. Big black locusts. Watch out, cause they they eat up all the crops and they don't tip. And, and watch out. Watch out for the locusts. <laughs> and y'all know about the monkey. Monkey got charged up with all kinds of the monkey, AIDS, or Ebola. 
I'm not even really scared of A's anymore. I mean, cause how can you with Magic? You see Magic Johnson? He looks fantastic. I can't be afraid. He looks wonderful. He's had AIDS for 15 years. What kind of AIDS he got? The good kind? I want. He's been he's been opening movie theaters and Starbucks for the last 15 years. I want that kind of AIDS. Give me that. Make me a better entrepreneur. I need that. Patrice, you got AIDS. Good. I want to open a trucking company because. Oh, this crowd is tough here. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Look at how Chinese people didn't, didn't laugh at them. But the black people and the Chinese people rode. They always laughing at the thing, right? But they couldn't even. <laughs> that was Patrice O'Neill on What? Tough Crowd Standing Up. Uh, Patrice, hands down, was the most naturally funny person ever. And I think that's what separates him, in my mind, to any other comic ever, is that he mastered the art of like hanging out on stage and I hear from other comics and interviews and stuff like that that he never wrote anything down which would make sense because he's very conversational on stage but he's got punchlines for days and I don't know how he remembered them it's great that he did he's a fucking prodigy was a prodigy in my mind if you're able to remember all that and never write anything down because i forget shit all the time but people's brains work differently but it's it's hard to explain to people who don't do comedy how hard it is just to get natural about doing something unnatural okay what i mean by that is talking supernatural to us right hanging out conversation that shit supernatural for some of us even a step higher than that for some of us, holding court, right? If you're in a group of people and then you kind of captivate everybody's attention, that is even more natural than uh, people. But getting up in front of hundreds, sometimes thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of people, holding court and a conversation with people that's only one-sided, making it seem like you and the person on stage with the fucking microphones and the lights uh, you two are the only ones in the room or you and your group of people and him are the or her are the only two group uh, people in the room that is something that might might most definitely might most definitely something <laughs> might be the toughest thing in comedy to do you getting natural on stage is what a lot of people call finding your voice and a lot of people go their whole career and never find it I think I don't even think Patrice O'Neill ever had to he, uh, from everything I've ever watched of him, had that same kind of twinkle of, yeah, we're just hanging out. And he was able to hold court with everything stacked against him, meaning thousands of people. If it was only uh, crowds that he knew wouldn't like him, uh, was out of his elements, meaning like it was either a theater show or a high production commercial show. He was very independent type of dude. Uh, he was able to still keep that character... Um, trait of being able to just hold court and hold conversation with thousands of people at a time. And there are very... It's, 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 it's very rare to find people like that. I can think of like maybe six people I know personally that have that, and only one of them I've seen that come to my mind, only one of them I've seen have that the whole time that I've known them. Uh, other people have to develop it. And it's... Uh, it's a perfect example of confidence selling jokes. Uh, not saying that he didn't have jokes uh, or people like that don't have jokes, but it is some saying like 
you could have something that's maybe like a five funny, but because you're so conversational, so laid back, so naturally performing, that that five becomes like an eight just because people like you. You like you laugh harder at people you like than people that you fucking hate. Trump says some fucked up shit, and I laugh sometimes when it's funny, but uh, most of the time I'm not laughing because I fucking hate the guy. Uh, so, but I'm sure if I like Trump, uh, the shit that I see that is funny, I'll fucking piss my pants, uh, grab him by the pussy, right? That's, uh, whoever you are, it doesn't matter. That shit was just, uh, downright funny. The, the fact that presidential candidate said that, and, uh, I'm still laughing at it. And uh, I'm sure I'd laugh harder if I like the guy, but I, I, I don't. So I don't. And I, I, I think that's, uh, that's something that you can't. It's hard to dissect. It's hard to quantify. It's even hard to even recognize sometimes. But when you do, you can and you will. And I do and I can. I will. I do recognize he had it. I can dissect it, meaning that he talked with the crowd, not at the crowd, and he left his. Uh, he, he left his. Uh, jokes open enough to fit the situation. I think that's part of not writing it down. I've experienced this a little bit, that once I write it down, it becomes a script. But if you never write it down, you just tell it almost like you tell a story. So you fit, it's like water. You fit the container that it's in. And I think Patrice was always like water on stage. He was always fitting the container that he was in. Uh, and his jokes were always so fluid that he knew where the punchlines were, but he could meander to them if he needed to or duck and dive out of a conversation into a punchline. And uh, I, I think that that's a... That liquidity is like the anti-hack. You, you don't get scripted. You don't get boring. Uh, no two sets are the same, uh, yet you still are funny enough to do it. It's a unique view, and it's an anti-hack mechanism that... Uh, I, I I try, I very much do try, especially this last year, have been trying not to write as much stuff down and uh, just remember it off the top of my head or just maybe have bullet points at most. And uh, that way I can dip and dive out of riffing, conversations, uh, and, and try to live more in the moment and be less hacky. <laughs> and so if I can learn anything from him, I'm hoping it's that. So that's Patricia and Neil. Uh, one of the greats. So let's move on to another fantastic comedian. Keith Robinson is up next. So let's listen to Keith, and then we'll dissect the fuck out of him, and then uh, we'll be right back. But fellas, I'm going to tell you what the problem is. Women been taught since childhood that they were special down there. That's right. We never got the penis pep talk, but they did. They got the vagina pep talk. The parents told them when they were little girls, that's special. Don't you let nobody touch it. It's special. Nobody touch it. Special. Some dirty little boy try to touch you down there, you smack the hell out of him. And you tell him, no, this is special. Huh? Fellas, we never got that. Our parents never got us in the living room, son. Come on in here. Pull it out. You see that? That's special. Don't you let nobody touch it. Some little girl or a priest try to touch you down there. (laughs) 
You tell them, no, this is special. <laughs> if we believe that, fellas, we wouldn't have to pay for nothing on first dates. Girl, pay your own check. Mine's just as good as yours. <laughs> That's what I try to teach my son, man. I'm gonna talk about my son. That's what I try to teach him how to be, how to roll. His name is Little Keith, and that's the way it should be. Big Keith, Little Keith. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. Don't let your wife, girlfriend, pimp you to name your son somebody else's damn name. My son's mom, she wanted me to name my son after who she fantasized about having a son with. <laughs> well, I think we should name him Denzel. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> you better go sleep with Denzel then. That's my son. I don't do homework and put somebody else's name on it. That's bullshit. <laughs> Take your time. Think about that. Take your time. Mm-hmm. That was Keith Robinson. I realized I ducked out before giving you guys any background information, but we can do that now. Uh, Keith Robinson is 53 years old now, so back then he was probably around 43, 44, something like that. Uh, he was born and raised in Philadelphia, PA, uh, and he's, been, he's now in New York. He's been there for a while. He's like a staple of the New York comedy scene. He's been around for so long. He started in like the mid '80s, and he's I, he's he's been doing comedy 36 years. Okay, and to give you guys context of who's talking about him, he's been doing comedy as long as me, plus two toddlers, like me as in age. I was born in '87, uh, so yeah, me and uh, me and a toddler, I guess, would be a, a better <laughs> a better description. Me and one toddler. Me plus a, a human toddler before that. Uh, Keith Robinson's been doing comedy that long. And he, his act, above anybody else I've ever seen, he kind of gave me hope when I first started watching it, is uh, he's got what I like to call a balance beam act. Okay, I've seen, I've seen a few people, not many, because it's, I think it's so hard to do, Judy Gold, uh, I kind of touched on this, but she's not like Keith. She she balances the uh, the the personality and the character of herself uh, like that. But Keith, what I mean by balance beam act is that they they're always teetering on being hacky or not. And Keith Robinson, every time I don't mean this disparagingly, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna explain what I mean by that. Every time I watch him, the whole time I think he's gonna be hacky, and he just brings the noise and convinces me otherwise. Keith has this very milk toast esque uh, way about him. Like, you think his premises are like, okay, great, you're talking about uh, nothing, nothing completely unique. Like, the antithesis, uh, premise-wise, as Patrice, where it's like, oh, shit, I've never even thought about something like that. Whereas Keith has the more milk toast, like, hey, women, dating relationships, kids, stuff like that, right? That that pops up in his set. And yet, the balance beam act, as you keep going like, oh, shit, he's lean and hacky, and then when his punchlines hit or his character hits or his personality hits, you just go, oh, shit, this guy's a fucking consummate professional, and there's a reason he's been around for 36 years and people still like him, and it's because he's not hacky. He may have... Uh, 
he may have more universal premises, but the reason that he's around and the reason that he's so good is that he's able to take maybe those universal thoughts that we've all had, and he puts a unique twist on it to make the fact that you thought you know what he was going to say not even uh, uh, close to what his punchline is. And that juxtaposition between his universal appeal and his actual punchlines is, uh, is great. He's, he's, he's like a good comic view act. Uh, Comic View was like a BET show that, to me, was notorious for just having real shit comedians. Uh, and th- when I watched Keith, I was like, oh, gee. Like, when I remember first watching him going like, Jesus, is this what this guy's act's going to be? Like, in this first premise, and then his first punchline hit, and I was like, oh, shit, I, is this what's his, what his act's going to be? Like, it, it became like a disparaging thing to say, is this what his act's going to be? To when his first punchline hit, and it was like, oh, well, I no, I hope this is what his act's going to be. Because it, it was refreshing. It was like mouthwash where you, you go like, oh, God, I, I don't want to hear another I got a kid joke, right? I've heard a million of those. How are you going to make it different? And then he does. It's it's a nice little refreshing, like, oh, spearmint. I thought, I thought this... Uh, this burnt muffin was going to taste bad, but it's not. It's it's actually moist and scrumptious. <laughs> uh, I just realized I uh, I may have called Keith Robinson a burnt muffin, but that's a good roast joke. I didn't even mean to do that. I was just trying to make an analogy or a metaphor. Uh, but yeah, Keith <laughs> Keith Robinson Keith Robinson's looking like a burnt muffin. That's a funny roast joke uh, that only I appreciate because I like being a dickhead. But yeah, a uh, fantastic comedian who can take... Uh, Pretty, uh, pretty universal premises and turn them on their head enough for it to be something something special to listen to and always get a laugh. He, he always does well, at least every time I've seen him. He, he, has, he has a certain swag about himself that uh, makes, uh, makes even the hardened, most dickheadish comedians like myself kind of melt and go, oh, you know what? I like this burnt muffin. <laughs> so uh, we're going we're gonna to end it there. And I know some of you are like, wait a minute, you, it, this is Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn, and you didn't, you didn't talk about Colin Quinn at all. Uh, he's on the show. He's introducing people, if you guys know. Uh, yes, he is, and he was. But I am saving a whole episode for Colin Quinn coming up to close out the 30 Days of Tough Crowd. So expect that. Uh, in a couple of shows, uh, we will be talking about why Colin Quinn is one of my favorite comedians of all time and what makes him so special for me to follow. Uh, so that'll be coming up later. So don't fret. We will not regret the wet vet shit. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to keep going like that. <laughs> all right. Uh, everybody, uh, like I said, please follow me on Twitter at isamcomedy.com uh, for the 30 days of Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn every December. Uh, you can also go to my website at I, or at www.isamcomedy.com to find the podcast and other of your Sam Norton needs like the Monday Memo uh, comic strip or the Daydream comic strip. Uh, also shout out, thank you again, Ryan, for, uh, helping edit and do this. And thank you to everyone listening and liking and subscribing. I see all of you coming through. We have a steady group coming through. I like this. Please, please spread the news. Like we, we keep building because of you guys. So I appreciate all of this. This is fun. Uh, thank you for making this worth my while and doing, cause I have to sit down. Like I just got done with three shows in one night and had to come home and do this. So, uh, I'm glad that you guys are listening. It makes it all worthwhile. So, uh, everyone, uh, I love you all very much. I will talk to you next week. I hope you enjoyed it. Bye.